so yeah, we're going to continue our series, Walking the Valley. Um, this one we'll be looking at strength for the journey, and we'll be digging into Isaiah um, chapter 40, specifically 40 verse 31. So if you do have your Bibles or uh, Bible apps, feel free to take those out. We'll kind of be parked in around um, Isaiah 40. So so yeah, last week we looked at how um, though we walk through the valley, we don't walk alone. God is with us, and um, this week we're going to be focusing on the strength that we can find um, even as we journey through the dark valley. We'll be looking at how the story of the Israelites intersects with our own and shows how um, we too can find strength and hope in our God. So our verse today is Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So how many of you have seen this verse on a coffee mug? Anyone? Yeah, maybe. Uh, how about on an embroidered pillow? Maybe. Okay, got, got some there. How about on a stock photo of a flying eagle? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. And for those who haven't yet, there we go. This, this, this one's taken from dailyverses.net, no doubt made around circa 1998. So, uh, but what about for the younger crowd? How about this one? There we go. Cleaner graphics, flashier, a little nicer. Um, so there we go. So I have to admit that while I've seen this verse um, many times, I actually had no idea what the context of it was. Um, sure, we got that reference, Isaiah 40, 31, but for me at least, all the prophets just kind of tend to blur together. Um, I know that they prophesied fire and brimstone because God was upset with how his people, the Israelites, were acting. But as for how exactly this verse on waiting for the Lord and eagle's wings fit into that, I honestly had no idea. So. If you're in the same boat as me, then maybe taking some time to first look into the context of Isaiah 40 and actually just the book of Isaiah as a whole would probably be helpful. So hopefully doing so will just help us understand what exactly was the valley that the Israelites were going through that caused these words of comfort to be spoken to them. And in understanding them, then hopefully we might better understand how these words can speak to us today. So one of the primary foundation stories of God's people, the Israelites, occurred long before Isaiah's time when the people were refugees seeking safety from a famine by moving into the land of Egypt. They were just a small family of shepherds and nomadic herdsmen, not exactly mighty men of renown or anything, but eventually a pharaoh rose to power who, we don't know his name, but he, he definitely was pretty self-conscious, at least from how I read it. And he feared the growing numbers of the Israelite people, and so he enslaved them and caused them to start building projects for him and forced them into forced labor. Um, these people cried out to the God of their fathers, Yahweh. And so one day, on a mountain, Yahweh called a shepherd who himself was a fugitive from Egypt. This man's name was Moses, and he was originally born an Israelite. Um, and God sent him back to Egypt to redeem his people. So with Yahweh's power, Moses performed signs and wonders of strength before the Egyptians that eventually convinced them to release the Israelites. So Moses brought the people of Israel 
out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the mountain of God where, he, where God had called him. And on this mountain, Yahweh gave Moses the gift of the law, which was a revelation of the way that the Israelites could live in right relationship with him. And the land that God promised to them would be theirs in abundance so long as they followed this path that God set before them. But did they follow God's path? Were they the example of God's wisdom to the nations? Long story short, no. No, not really. If we fast forward to Isaiah's time, we, the nation of Israel has split into north and south, and God calls the prophet Isaiah to then speak out against the southern nation of Judah And Yahweh promised that unless the people of Judah turned from their sin, foreign armies would come and devour their land. And what was exactly the sin of the Israelites? Interestingly, according to Isaiah, it fell into two categories, idolatry and injustice. They were disloyal to God, and they neglected the marginalized in their society. And in that verse we read from Psalms, it talks about how God is for the oppressed, he's for the widow, he's for the marginalized, and the Israelites were totally neglecting that desire of God. And after settling the land that God gave them, instead of being an example to the nations, they hid their light under a bowl. They started worshiping created things rather than the creator, and they became like the very nations they were called to be different from. They became like Egypt in the end. Um, And that's the irony is that the powerful in Israel became like the oppressive rulers of the other nations. They became like Pharaoh, which was the, the very country that God had redeemed them from. And through the prophet Isaiah, God warned his people that if they continued on this track, then he would remove his hedge of protection and allow the mighty torrent of the nations to crash through their city carrying them off into a foreign land. But even in the face of exile, the good news of restoration of God's people is sown throughout these first 39 chapters before our verse. And these chapters are beautiful. They're filled with poetry um, that captures the wrath of the nations, but also declares very familiar promises of hope. Um, One in particular being that in Isaiah 7, where a virgin is promised to conceive of a son who will be called Emmanuel. And just looking at the very first chapter in Isaiah, God promises that if the Israelites learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, obtain justice for the orphan, and plead the widow's case, though your sins are as scarlet, they will become white as snow. And if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. So right from the start, God promises consequences for Israel's rebellion, but also provides a path for grace. And in spite of Judah's disloyalty and injustice, God longs for his people to be loyal and trusting in him, no other gods before him. And he longs for his people to open their heart to the marginalized, to break down that dividing wall of hostility between classes and races. But they weren't willing. And eventually, the nation of Assyria takes the northern kingdom, and Judah falls to the Babylonians, and the people are exiled into a land that is not their home, to serve kings and rulers who do not know their God. And it is in this context that the words of Isaiah chapter 40 would have been read. You'd expect that after all of this, God would speak with anger and frustration. But just listen to these opening lines of the chapter. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem 
and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her guilt has been removed, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you hear the tenderness in those words? Comfort and speak kindly. This is Yahweh looking at his broken and battered people, calling them back to him. They abandoned their God, and so he turned his face away. But he is now calling them back out of darkness, out of despair, into a new path, a new way. And the next lines will probably be familiar to you. The voice of one calling out, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Here God promises that just as a way was made through the Red Sea out of Egypt, God will make a way through the desert out of Babylon. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist repurposes those words to talk about a new exodus that is about to happen by one who comes after him. So a highway for worship is being set. And the rest of Isaiah chapter 40 is a call out of disloyalty, out of exile, back into worship of Yahweh. Because Yahweh is the God far above all rulers and authorities. Right? Like we sung, I will exalt you, the name above all names. The world and its rulers are like grass that withers, but God's word will always endure. Unlike the earthly and supernatural powers, God does not grow weary. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. This is our God, tireless and mighty. What about us? What about humanity? So if we look at our coffee cup verse of the day, you may have noticed that it starts with the word yet. And that is a hint that points us back to the verse that comes before it. So let's just look at that just for a moment. It says, though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Here we see how bad the situation has gotten. The nation of Israel is so broken and battered that even the young, those who should have energy, they're stumbling, they're falling. But there is hope, right? Yet, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become faint. If you're familiar with the stories of, David, or, sorry, uh, of Daniel and Esther, both um, Israelites in uh, exile, just imagine with me young men and women like Daniel and Esther, working tirelessly for a foreign nation, that does not worship their God, and living in a land that is not their own, listen to how God speaks to these young men and women far from home. He says, comfort, comfort, and promises that one day they'll be freed from exile, brought through the wilderness to the promised land, and if they wait on him, he will renew their strength so they can endure and make that journey home. These would have been words of hope for their anxious hearts. But what about us? What about us today, us modern-day Christians living in North America, in a democratic country, not under Babylonian oppression? Where do we fit in the story? Is there a message of comfort for us? Well, thankfully, all the way back in Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet tells us how we fit into God's redemptive plan. It says, now it will come to... 
about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief mountain and raised above hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations and will mediate for many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. So while this prophecy obviously hasn't been fully realized, the word of the Lord has gone out from Jerusalem. The good news of Jesus, the anointed king, the judge of nations, has been heard by us. And every Sunday, we stream to the mountain of God, asking him to teach us his ways, that we might take our devices of war and turn them into garden tools so that we too can bring flourishing into the wilderness of the world. Beyond this, the New Testament writers envisioned that all followers of Jesus were living in exile of sorts. Um, Paul, in his letter to the church of Philippi, says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting for our King to return and restore this world. Isaiah describes it as, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. We are still waiting for Jesus to return and restore all things. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we are waiting for this fierce enemy to finally be crushed forever. So while we wait, we are exiles. Exiles waiting for the wilderness to bloom, waiting for mountains to be leveled and valleys to be raised up. And while we wait, we like creation grown inwardly. Because we don't see the darkness of the valley. We feel it. So looking back to our main verse... Um, look closely at it. Oh, I lost connection. There we go. Look closely at it. Um, what comes to mind for you guys when you read the, this, this verse? This is a time of audience interaction, so feel free to just, if you, if you see anything, um, the interesting thing about Hebrew poetry is that images between lines get repeated, so rather than rhyming words, they rhyme thoughts. Is there anything that comes to mind for you when you read these words? I know we're a full crowd today, so. <clears throat> Interesting. Interesting, yeah. So it just reminds us of Amos, yeah, where it describes the young people stumbling there, yeah. Yeah, so obviously a repeated image of that shouldn't be happening, but it is, right? So, no, that's good. Anyone else have any thoughts? Lots of movement, not only in the 
Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, stumbling, walking, running. Yeah, lots of, lots of images of movement. That's good. Yeah, and one of the interesting things, um, actually, on that note is that in Hebrew poetry, what tends to happen is the second line will intensify the first. So it'll be the same thought, but it'll kind of be an intensification. So you see the youths grow tired and weary, and in the next line, they stumble badly. So that's where it intensifies. So they're not just getting tired, but they're actually falling down. Um, and the interesting thing that I saw was that there's actually a degression in the end. So you have, they will mount up, they will run, they will walk. And so it appears that, and I think this is intentional, um, rather than going from walking to running to flying, the poem goes from flying to running to walking. This verse may be showing that even though the things might appear to be digressing, God is working. Um, it might feel as though last week um, you were soaring and this week you're, you're just walking or we're crawling, you know? Um, but no matter how your life might appear, God is working. And this, how that is put there, I think is a picture of what that is. Um, and what is, what's the only command in this verse for us? To wait. Yeah, to wait. Uh, yeah, how many of you enjoy waiting? Anybody? Anybody here? <laughs> I see some shakes of the head. No, no nods out there. Yeah, I think whether it's uh, waiting three hours in like a vaccination drive-through or three minutes for your uh, burrito in the microwave to be finished on low, uh, I think we struggle with waiting. Um, we want to do something. We want to fix the problem now. But God asks his people to stop, to rest, to have a Sabbath pause, and to trust him. I'm not exactly sure how your week has been, um, but I think we all can have at least an understanding of how your last couple years have been. Just like the Israelites experienced a huge event that affected the whole nation, um, with the pandemic, we too have experienced a tragic upheaval as a nation. I think we all can admit that we've experienced moments these last couple years of frustration, anxiety, loneliness, and it's been, it has been a pretty dark valley, especially at the start of the pandemic with the full lockdown. Um, it was in those starting months, I think, that we as a nation started to realize just how much we needed each other. Um, like I mentioned with, when Ashton and I uh, led worship a few Sundays ago, we, as a gathered people, are all pieces of a sacred building. We're all building blocks of the temple with Jesus as that cornerstone. And it might be that there's someone here um, who's been pleading with God, waiting on him to provide strength, and they just haven't experienced it yet. God just doesn't seem to be coming. But maybe, just maybe, you are the answer to their prayer for strength. Maybe you are the strength that God wants to send. Paul opens his second letter to the church in Corinth with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted God. Do you hear that echo? 
comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah chapter 40, I think, illustrates exactly how we can be strength to each other. Words are powerful, right? There's a reason why our verse today has appeared on so many mugs and throw pillows. It speaks truth. It speaks hope. You feel it. I feel it. So, like Isaiah, let's use the message of hope that we've been given to speak light, not just to our coworkers and friends who do not yet know Jesus, but to share it here with the family of God. And it's okay if this is your season to sit and wait. If you're the one who needs strength, God does not want us to burn out. He is a generous God and is generous with his rest. Remember the seventh day of creation, God rested. He showed us an example of that. Let those who are having a season of strength then walk with you. Let your church family encourage you. When God brought out his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt into the land of freedom, he said to them these words, You yourselves have seen that what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We are all people walking in darkness, but we have seen a great light. We are living in a foreign country still dominated by powers and authorities that are counter to the way of Jesus. But by the authority of Jesus, our king has made us a way to walk out of Egypt, out of exile, and into freedom. He is our exodus. And I'm going to close with what initially was planned to be the second verse that we were going to look at today. But rather than us staying here till lunch, um, past lunch probably, to talk about it, I'm just going to instead just pray these words over you. Do not fear, says the Lord, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. May we wait on God this week and find strength and healing in his wings. Amen.